Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be reading 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 through chapter 4 verse 4. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray. Father, our spirits, our hearts, our minds are often like Dead, dry bones. I ask You to breathe and cause us to live in here today. May we have ears to hear the core of this text and the importance of what You say in it. For our happiness and for Your glory. Amen. We are in the middle of a series on the five core values of Sovereign Grace Fellowship. This is the middle of the third core value, the Word of God that I began last week. So let me just summarize for a moment where we were last week before we pick up. This week, I said that a necessary element of loving God, that that means of worshiping God actually, is loving His Word, the Scripture, where He has revealed Himself, made Himself known. I said that our concern with truth is a mirror image of our concern with the one true God who's revealed Himself in the Word and in Jesus Christ, the Word. I argued last week that the reason this book and the contents of it is so crucial for the life of the Christian and the life of the church is that God revealed Himself as the Word the Lagos. And He reveals Himself and His ways in the Word, in the Scripture. And He works in His people by the Word. He causes people to come out of spiritual darkness and eternal condemnation and come into eternal salvation by the Word of God. He causes them to be born again by the Word. And then He constantly uses the Word in those whom He is saving in order that they persevere in faith to the end. This book, the Bible, is the Word of God. That's why those of us who are members here at Sovereign Grace, one of our confessions of the statement of faith goes like this. We believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God equally in all parts and without error in its original manuscript, absolutely infallible and our source of supreme revelation from God, superior to conscience and reason though not contrary to reason, and it is therefore our infallible rule of faith and practice. I want you to turn for a moment to Luke 16. 
Remember the parable? Rich man, poor beggar, Lazarus outside his gate. They both die. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom in paradise. The rich man is in torment. I'm just going to pick up in the middle of Jesus' parable. I want you to hear some theology flow from the rich man. Starting with verse 27 of Luke 16. The rich man then said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That same doctrine of the rich man is prevalent in the church today. You can't trust the Bible to create Christians and to sustain the life of the local church. It's been tried. Come on, in our day, people have been raised on electronic devices, on MTV and movies and quick texting where you're abbreviating everything and get to the point and don't make arguments and internet blurbs instead of reading books. And therefore, Bible preaching of text, words, is just not going to work in our day and age. You can't hold people's attention. So, let's do miracle working services and promise healing. They'll come. It'll draw their attention. Instead, let's plaster images as opposed to words everywhere. Let's have the image of play acting, drama skits in the place of expository preaching. Let's concentrate more on music. Music is this wonderful gift of God throughout the ages that we all know. So if we just cause it to be so much better, that'll be the thing that people will really be drawn to. Or in other words, there's another way to say all that is, send Lazarus! That'll work. But Abraham's logic, really it's Jesus's, it's his parable, is the exact opposite. If they don't listen to the written Scripture, neither will they truly hear and repent, even if a dead man shocks them by coming alive and warns them. Every church must choose one of those lines of argument. The rich man, drama skits, images, personal storytelling that warms the congregants' hearts. New, better techniques to replace exposition, preaching of the Scripture. Because those other things, like sin Lazarus, that will be immediately enticing to my five brothers. And those things are more immediately enticing. And there are lots of books in Christian bookstores giving advice to pastors on how to do just that. But the other option is Abraham's. The Word of God. Moses and the prophets. Okay. That was last week. The Word. It's our life. It's central. And now to part two. 
Here's a Scripture. Here's our life. The Word of God is the way God works. The written Scripture. Now the question this week is this. Then why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Why this thing called preaching? Paul wrote. Moses wrote. Why don't we just meet together and just read Scripture for 30 minutes, sing a couple songs, close in prayer, and go home. Why this thing called preaching? Or or as I have heard from people over my 33 years as a Christian, now we really do need in our church Sunday mornings to have more of a discussion group so people can feel that they're involved by sharing their thoughts and their feelings over texts of Scripture. So replace this thing called exposition or teaching of the Word of God. Why not just sing and let the Spirit move for an hour or an hour and a half? We've got, you know, Bible stuff within our songs. And then, go home. Why not pray and say, Holy Spirit, move upon somebody who really has something burning in their heart so they can get up and then say it to the people. You know there's a denomination historically that was built on that model. Or to flip it around, why not just have theological professors come into the churches on Sunday morning and give this academic analysis of text of Scripture, its cultural and historical context, and its vocabulary and syntactical relations, and say, see what the Word says. Why not that? Why this thing called preaching? Here's my twofold answer. The first is like, it's like sand I'm building this one on. I understand that, but... I'm going to be honest with you. Here's here's my first reason. My experience. And the experience of every strong, maturing, Jesus-loving person I know that it's been around long enough. That is the experience of the impact of being preached to and what it does for our life and our souls. But, here's my real, firm, Reason. The Bible teaches the necessity of preaching. So if you're there in our text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 into chapter 4. I'm going to actually start now with chapter 4, verse 1. Last week we dealt with what came before, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3 where Paul made it clear that the Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. It is His very Word. Now that he said that to Pastor Timothy, he says this, I charge you, preach the Word. But I hope you're looking at your text. Because one thing about preaching is don't trust the preacher just because he says it. I charge you, here's the simple sentence without all the complexities of it. He wants to say, I gave you a charge. It is this. Preach the Word. But he's got a lot of words in between that he felt necessary before he gave the actual charge. He's cloaking it in a context that seems to say, I, Paul, to you, Timothy, don't you dare take what I'm going to say in a second lightly. So let's read the whole thing. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. And by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. 
Paul says there's a gravity to this. I charge you, really, that word to charge. It, it, it's this, uh, I, with dead seriousness, I solemnly charge you. Okay, let me hold off on the charge. Preach the word for a minute. Timothy, I charge you. This almost feels threatening, doesn't it? I charge you in the presence of God. Pastor Timothy, God is witnessing this charge to you right now. Do it. God cares about preaching in the presence of God who is to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, what is at stake in preaching is how people live and how they die and eternal judgment. And by His appearing in His kingdom, Timothy, preaching has to do with Jesus' future coming and the establishment of the eschatological kingdom. Timothy, God will call you to account. Preach the Word. So, the Scripture is clear Preaching the Word is to be prominent in the life of the church. And the context here of 2 Timothy is preaching to believers. Not on a street corner, not when Paul enters a synagogue in a new town that's never heard the Gospel. This is the life of the local church. That's his context to Pastor Timothy. See verse 2. Preach the Word. Be ready day after day, week after week, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So, every church member in the world and every pastor should take preaching the Word of God with dead seriousness. To stand up and to handle the Bible with care and to preach it demands a seriousness to it. I was very helped numbers of years ago by this book, by 11 different pastors talking about preaching, titled Feed My Sheep, a passionate plea for preaching. Just to, just to give you a taste of the culture in which we live in, I'm going to read from the back cover of it. Biblical preaching is nearing extermination in our day. There is sharing, suggesting, plenty of storytelling, and lots of preaching of felt needs and two felt needs. But the authoritative, expositional opening of the Word of God is more rare to find all the time. This book is a plea for preachers to preach the Word. In the Old Testament, God decried the fact that His people were perishing for lack of knowledge about Himself. Too often, those who have been called to feed Christ's sheep do little more than pet them instead of feeding them the Word of God. This is a book for pastors and people alike. It will encourage pastors to strive to maintain their calling. It will guide congregations in holding their pastors to the biblical standard. Preach the Word is what Paul says. Preach! Not stories about yourself. 
not attention-grabbing anecdotes about your children and your wife. Preach the Word. In other words, do exposition of the text of Scripture while preaching. That's the Bible. And that's what the Bible says. Now, here's my question. Okay, but why? What I mean by that is this. Are there good reasons behind this commandment to the church? My answer is yes. And if you have been attentive to this whole series on the core values, there is linear thinking and reasoning and conclusions that are drawn from premises, okay? And so, if you have been listening carefully, then you'll see why this, at least in my mind, fits right in. Summarize it. If the goal, as I have been arguing, of the Christian community is to glorify God by knowing Him and delighting in Him whom we know, then preaching should follow the same twofold pattern. The understanding of God coming through, understanding with the mind, and loving Him whom we see in our understanding. That's the twofold essence of worship. What I have been trying to say over these last three weeks is summarized and obviously derived from the mind of Jonathan Edwards in the way that he's constructed it. And here it is in a summary, as Edwards says, writing in the 1700s, God glorifies Himself toward the creatures in two ways. One, by appearing to their understanding. And two, communicating Himself to their hearts in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestation, meaning the clarity which God makes of Himself. Edwards goes on, God is glorified not only by His glory being Seen, that means with the mind thinking, but by its also being rejoiced in. When those that see God's glory with their mind, they see it and delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. With their mind. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. End quote. So, in other words, those two aspects are the core of the Christian life. Worship God in spirit and in truth. It is seeing the truth of who God is and in the Gospel and in the Scripture with our minds, but then not just walking away and saying, let's go eat, but worshiping, loving, delighting, being thrilled with what we are seeing about Him. In other words, we are never to separate head and heart in the Christian life. We must see Him truly as He's revealed Himself in Scripture in order to delight in Him truly. And if we only see Him though, but we don't delight in Him whom we see because oh, we just love philosophy and theology, well, that's an insult to Him. That's sin. That is to be falling short of the glory of God. I mean, just simple illustration. When we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we're doing that, that is not worship. 
unless we understand the Word amazing and the Word grace. That then is worship. Worship must include our minds, our thoughts, our understanding. Worship always consist of understanding with the mind and thus feeling with the heart. Understanding must always be the foundation of feeling. Or else it's just baseless emotionalism. Some of you, like me in my Christian life, I've been around that. But on the other hand, Understanding of God, understanding of the Gospel, loving theology and meanings of text, but it doesn't give rise in the heart to a heartfelt delight and joy in the God that we see, then that is just mere intellectualism. If we try to bypass the understanding in doing church life and hype things up and get a Ryan Seacrest. He's perfect. That would be a great pastor, man. He'd get you people all energized on Sunday morning. And just bypass exposition of Scripture. It is only empty emotionalism. It won't be glorifying to God and it won't really be the help that real Christians need on an ongoing basis. You see, th- this is why the Bible, it says stuff like this. And see, I have a neck and above my neck is my head and below it is this area here. And we humans in all cultures talk this way. Whether you use heart or liver or head or mind, or br- we talk that way. This is why the Bible calls us to think. It's up here. To consider, to meditate, to remember all up there. But, but it also calls us to rejoice. You know, we don't normally point to our head when we're rejoicing. It, it says, rejoice, fear. We grab our midsection. Mourn, delight, hope, be glad. It's the head and it's the heart. It's the thoughts. It's the desires. It's the affection. The point is that true faith and worship is always a response to truth that the mind sees. And then the heart says, Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. If we got that now, here's a statement. That is why preaching exists. Because true preaching is meant to unite those two things. The mind and the heart. See, sometimes when words like preaching as opposed to teaching are thrown around, I hear people say stuff that's so unbiblical. Wow, man. I really had to think on Sunday morning. So, I mean, that was not preaching. That's teaching. No, dead wrong. Oh, or I really didn't have to think that much, and it was, boy, it just really is. And I didn't have to work. It was easy, and the story's really good. Therefore, that was preaching as opposed to teaching. No, uh uh-uh. uh. That's not the difference. Preaching exists to unite the understanding in the mind with an affection in the heart towards what we understand in the mind. In other words, preaching is serious teaching. Exposition of the Word of God to the understanding of the people. And yet, it flows through a real human being who feels and expresses the impact of the Word that He is teaching upon His own heart while teaching it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor in London through the 20th century, great preacher, defined preaching 
concisely this way. Preaching is logic on fire. Phillips Brooks, back in the 19th century, defined preaching as truth mediated through personality. And let's ask Jonathan Edwards what he thinks. So it will be a little bit longer. Edwards is prone to do that. He's not really good with four-word sentences. Edwards writes, If a minister has light, for that he means knowledge in the head, okay, understanding, as opposed to heat, meaning passion in the heart. That's how he's going to use it. If a minister has light without heat and entertains his people with learned discourses without a taste of the power of godliness or any appearance of fervency of spirit and zeal for God and the good of souls, that pastor may gratify itching ears and fill the heads of his people with empty notions, but it will not be very likely to reach their hearts or save their souls. He goes on. And on the other hand, if he be driven on with a fierce zeal and heat without light, meaning truth, He will be likely to kindle the same unholy flame in His people and to fire their corrupt passions and affections, but will make them never the better, nor lead them a step towards heaven, but drive them apace quickly the other way. You know, some of us who actually attended meetings back in the mid-90s called the Toronto Blessing, without getting into a lot of it, but this was the main huge problem with this movement within portions of the church that was spreading throughout the country in a few different countries, of pure emotionalism without light. The light of the exposition of Scripture. The question is, so many of those who were not already grounded, where were they three years from then? Or five years from then? Edwards, elsewhere then, applying to himself as a local church pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts, he, he said this, therefore, about his duty as a pastor. Quote, I should think myself in the way of my duty... Is this, watch, listen to his purpose, is to raise the affections, passions, desires, the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can. Huge now. Provided that they are affected with nothing but truth and with affections in them that are not disagreeable to, but are in line with the nature of the truth that they are affected with. And so sometimes, in a sermon, that could mean the affection happening in the hearts of people should be utter sobriety because of the text. Or awe. Or deep hope in in their need for comfort because of the text. Or an Easter Sunday, joy unspeakable about the resurrection. Affections that flow in response to the text. Okay, back to our text, 2 Timothy, for a moment. When Paul says... Preach the Word. The word preach there is the word keruxo. Paul didn't invent this Greek word. It existed. And this is a word that was used of heralds. Okay, They couldn't just text everybody or 
give commercials on their television sets. When the king had a decree or some other ruler, the decree would go into the hands of the heralds and they would take it with them and they would go town to town and they would announce, as they get the public out into the street, Hear ye, hear ye the decree of the king. Next Thursday night at 7 p.m., there will be a banquet and the king invites you all. But make sure you are wearing a white robe with a red hat or you will not be admitted. The herald preaches. He's announcing the decree of the king. He's not just there as a professor teaching. He's proclaiming something from the king. But all true heralding and preaching includes teaching. Not all teaching is preaching. Teaching can be fact at the fact and good arguments into the minds of people. And it's a, it's a good, beneficial lecture. Preaching is not just giving information. It is proclaiming, announcing, pressing against the consciences of the people the word of the sovereign king. In other words, preaching is biblical teaching that moves It confronts, it comforts, it instructs, it challenges the hearts, the lifestyles, the thinking of its hearers. And it does so as those differing reactions it's looking for are coming forth out of the text that is being preached. Hear ye, hear ye, the God of the universe who created all men announces to you that He has sent His Son and His Son was crucified and died for the sins of all who will believe in Him and He raised Him from the dead on the third day and one day He's coming back to judge. Therefore, put your trust in that Jesus. It announces. But in the announcing, the preacher of that message cannot be indifferent himself to it. The preacher is also the audience. He's also the recipient of the Word of God that He is to be corrected by, to repent because of, to hope in the text that is so hope-giving. He can't be indifferent. I mean, look, if I'm driving down the freeway with my wife and one of my daughters is in a car in front of us, and right before our eyes we see it swerve and then hit the car and it flips over five times. And I pull over 40 yards behind and run to the aid and reach in and take out my daughter and two other people. And there's not a scratch on them. And I'm a herald. I turn and I run back to my wife if I ran back to my and she's just frantically praying, just hold on, baby, hold on. I want to find out the scores of the games. Hold on. You would find that to be stupid and an impossibility. How does one proclaim to their wife, Honey, it's amazing. She's alive. She's not even a scratch on her. Let's pray and thank God. This is so wonderful. Okay, see, I couldn't... Sorry, but... And we all have different personalities. It's not merely a personality thing. I'm not talking about tone of voice and all that. Okay? It can be a person who doesn't do that very well, but you can tell when they're passionate. I'm not disinterested in the message I'm giving to my wife. That's the point. 
And yet that preaching contains teaching. Harold, okay, you're sure? Is it at the same hall we met last year for the banquet? Okay, now you're sure he met 7 p.m.? Yes, yes. Here's the decree. Let's read the text again. Can you hear it? Yeah, there it is. Oh, let me... He said wear white robes. So in the past, we've had experiences where people thought they were wearing white robes and they weren't white. They were off-white. They were like cottage white or Navajo white robes and they were not allowed in. So let me be clear. He's teaching now. He's explaining what he's been proclaiming. It's got to be white. White. And, and be careful on the red hat. Okay, don't... Some of you think red is orange. Make sure it's red. Hat, are you? This is serious. You won't be let in. See, the teaching is right in line with the preaching or the, the proclamation. Or, in other words, trust in His Son. Okay, let's pull back a little bit. The preacher says, and some of you think that trust meant that you said a prayer and said, "Yes, I trust," and you said it with your mouth, and you're good to go. Well, no, because the king has said lots of other things. So let's clarify here. Look what he said through James here. Can that faith save him? No. So let's clarify what kind of trust or faith in Jesus we, we mean. So you get, you get the picture. That's what preaching is. Preaching is preaching the Scripture. The Word of God. And clarifying it while the preacher is being affected by the gravity of it, the joy of it, the hope of it, the rebuke of it, the sobriety of whatever content is being preached on that occasion. It's all right there in our text. Verse 2, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season, Timothy, to reprove to rebuke the wrong, to exhort and encourage, and do it all with complete patience with people and teaching and teaching. Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but instead having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander off into myths. And clearly by truth, Paul meant the Word. Preach the Word. This is what we call expository preaching. Exposition means to take and expose. Teach unfold, make clear, help people see it for what it says. Preaching is expository because it deals with the text. Preach the Word. That's the thing. So therefore, by definition, it is to be expository. Preaching what it says. And therefore, true preaching is not merely the opinions of man. It is faithful exposition of the intended meaning of Paul to the Romans. Or of Moses, or of Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or Luke, or Peter. The content of the sermon in preaching is valid to the extent it is an accurate rendering of the text. Preaching is to herald, proclaim, explain, and clarify the text. And not only that, I will argue, should constantly be to show the people how you got there. Not just proclaim the pastor said it or the Pope said it, but I'm saying this because of this. Open your Bible. Do you see that? Don't believe it unless you... If you're thinking, you're a good thinker, think through what I'm saying, as Paul said. 
Look at the text. That's how I got there. It's not merely doing that in an academic way. It's now you see it. Can't we rejoice over this good news? And at the same time, those who say, no, right now I hate that God. It's pressing against their soul and hopefully not hardening them, but breaking them. But it may do both. So as a church, as Sovereign Grace Fellowship, we want to trust in God. We want to depend on Him. We want to worship Him. We want to constantly be repentant people because we will never be done with sin this side of the grave. But over it all, we want to be those who delight in Him. But how? Psalm 119 says, Open my eyes, Lord so that I may see wonderful things. That hits this part down here. I see here, wonderful down here, things in Your Word. God has ordained to the, constantly be opening the eyes of the heart and of the affections of His people as His people are opening the Word and hearing the Word. Preaching is there in order to constantly make clear the contents of the Bible. A text at a time while doing it in a way that exhibits a demeanor of intensity and sobriety, joy or mourning or whatever that content is pulling out of God's people. Ten more minutes, I think. We live in an American evangelicalism where what I have said over the last 40 minutes happens far, far less than it should. Where expository preaching is not done nearly enough in enough churches. There has been for many decades now a seeker-sensitive movement that is founded on the principle of secular marketing research is the valuable tool in assessing your communities and the area where your churches are in order to find out what people are really looking for so you can market yourself as a church that way. And so, for instance, it would go like this. Look, there's lots of young couples in their 30s and 40s still raising families and they care about their kids and their, their kids' morality and... They want and are looking for warm, supportive, informal, uplifting, not heavy atmosphere type church experiences on Sunday. Therefore, if you want to reach them, don't. Don't let them come here and in any way let them feel a pressure that they might have to use their minds a little bit. Or they might have to follow linear trains of thought and arguments. It's not what they're looking for. But instead, keep it short. Keep it simplistic. Keep it uplifting. Don't do the guilt thing. Keep it personally, relationally inspiring. And so, what topics should you preach? Well, you usually want to go topical because if you just committed to go through 1 John or Romans or Luke or Genesis, you can get in a lot of trouble because it won't fit what you want to do. You're going to run into some pretty nasty texts. And so you get to figure out how to avoid those all the time. And you, you run into text at times where, where God's angry. And where sin is bad, 
and judgment's coming. So that's not going to fit this philosophy of church life. So you think of topics that, what would they want? What's a standard person out in our community? Churched or unchurched? Christian or non-Christian? What do they want? And so the advice to pastors is go for the personal over the doctrinal. Go for the relational over any abstract thinking. Don't mention money or sin very often. Entertainment. Keeping their minds moving and being happy they came there just like you would if you went to a movie theater on a Sunday afternoon. Keep it moving, keep it going, they'll want to come back and you got customers. No, no wonder... I recently listened to an address by Al Muller, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. That I just love the title, and the, ser- and the sermon was really good. But he titled it this way, The Foolishness of Preaching. Why Expository Preaching is Such a Bad Idea. And it is. If you have another agenda other than Paul's. Preach the Word. Oh, by the way, if you don't know, Al Mohler is promoting expository preaching. But if you're going to treat the church like if we can get people to positively kind of like Jesus and keep it light and do it, okay, and that's what church is about, then don't do expository preaching. It's not conducive to that. You know, when I was in college and in seminary, I've had to take church growth classes, ministerial classes, and much of what I just said there was what I was told to do. Never did, always was trouble. Really? Oh, I don't think I'm called to be a pastor then. And, and I meant it, I was confused. I just, I don't have that personality, I don't have those gifts, I'm, I don't have very many gifts. And let me just give you a taste from the classes, or I'm going to give you a taste from a book, because you know, when you grow big churches, sometimes they hey, write a book, tell us how you did it, so everyone else can do it. So here, here's quotes, examples of a pastor, I won't even mention his name, writing a decade and a half ago. Quote, When I preach, I figure I have about one or two minutes for people to decide if they want to listen to me or not. And then, in his book, he goes on to say, that's why I constantly go to the local bookstore and I go to the self-help section and see what people's on their burner. And that's where his sermon titles come from. And then he gives a bunch of examples. For instance, over the last six months, I've preached on topics such as, and he lists them. How can I have a happier marriage? How can I handle my money better? I don't like my job. What can I do about it? How do I get guidance about my employment? Will I be caught in an adult children of alcoholics pattern all my life? How can I get more time for myself? How can I feel better about myself? And then final quote. He goes on to advise pastors. Pastors, Limit your preaching to roughly 20 minutes. Because boomers, that's who he's referring to back then, my generation, baby boomers don't have too much time to spare. And they don't forget to keep your messages light and informal, liberally sprinkling them with humor and personal anecdotes. That's how you grow a church. I was taught that stuff in Bible. College. I didn't buy it, by the way. Os Guinness, a Christian sociologist, and has a lot of really good things to say because he examines culture. He's been doing it for decades. And as a believer, watching culture and then watching the church, just be a usually about 10 years behind it, and they reflect the culture. Reflect the culture. But as he's examined culture, and he's right on this. This is what has happened in the late 20th and now early 21st century. 
America that, that we know. He says, above all, there has been a shift from word. I'm speaking words right now. There's no cartoon behind me, no images, no commercials that keep flashing, no MTV music, just word. There's been a shift from word to image, from action to spectacle, from exposition to entertainment, from truth to feeling, from conviction to sentiment, and authoritative utterance to discussion. And sharing. And it has. And the question is, what do you do about it? Just change the Bible? Don't do expositional preaching? Because people can't follow a sermon that's longer than 20 minutes or has any arguments in it? Or, because of our culture, the electronic age that people are being raised in, do we say, do you love Jesus? Let's just slowly learn how to get to think again then. Learn how to read. Read. Well. Learn how to listen. I'm for the latter. See, Jesus met felt needs. Certainly. And He still does in our lives, doesn't He? Yeah. I mean, He fed 5,000 people who were hungry one day. That was a felt need. And then, the next day, and they followed Him. He preached to them. And He turned 5,000 into 12. And commenting on that, Pastor Douglas Webster, in his book, Selling Jesus, says this about Jesus shrinking a crowd. Jesus certainly did not win the People's Choice Award that day. Nor did His message rank in the top 40 pop chart. But what He did do was to establish a communication model that helps the church to shift from image to word. From spectacle to action. From entertainment to exposition. From feeling to truth and opinion to authoritative utterance. Jesus does not offer a lesson in how to make the Gospel popular, but He does show us the Gospel's power. And so, let me give you one more from Webster, because this paragraph really, because I was really trying to figure out in my life in the 90's and coming out of seminary, I just feel so weird, like I don't fit. Now, I remember I picked up his book and this paragraph, that's what I've been thinking for numbers of years. I think he's right at the core of it. It was always my Christian experience, my Christian heart. It seemed to be clear in the Bible, but here's his summary. The church is not based on human opinions, no matter how positive they are. It is not an audience positively inclined toward Jesus. But it's a company of committed individuals whose lives depend upon the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The church must not obscure this truth by transforming a congregation into an audience. Or transforming proclamation into performance or transforming worship into entertainment. The distinction between opinion and confession, meaning our confession of faith and what we believe and doctrine, the distinction between opinion and confession will be lost if the goal is mainly to attract more and more people to Jesus. Church attendance may grow but true Christian individuality and community will be lost. If, quote, unchurched Harry feels perfectly at home in our household of faith, then it may not be a true household of faith at all, but a popular cultural religion. And so, summary, I have been saying, in preaching... If a person 
does exposition of Scripture, of the Bible, minus exalting and cherishing the truth that He is teaching, then it's a lecture. It's not preaching. On the other hand, if a preacher who has all kinds of passion, and because of his type A charismatic personality, hypes up the people with tones of voices and inflections like that, but does it without exposition of the Scripture, then it is just baseless, dangerous emotionalism. It's just worked up religious fervor and it is not ultimately helpful for salvation, for sanctification, or for worship. But if those two, an affection and a passion for the truth while teaching it, come together in preaching, then God is exalted in the understanding and in the heart. So, the reason that depth of thought and accuracy of the exposition of text of Scripture along with corresponding passion or intensity or joy. The reason that in the preacher is at the essence in the core of the Word in the corporate community is because worship is not just understanding. And it's not just Feelings. It is strong feelings based on understanding the text of Scripture. It is seeing the truth with our minds and being moved to it and loving it. So, I'm going to close with a couple quotes from now. He's my preacher. John Piper, in his book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching. You can slowly come, Alex, as I quote. Piper writes, It is not the job of the Christian preacher to give moral or psychological pep talks about how to get along in the world. Someone else can do that. But most of our people have no one in the world to tell them week in and week out about the supreme beauty and majesty of God. He goes on, So I am persuaded that the vision of a great God is the linchpin in the life of the church. Our people need to hear God entranced preaching. They need someone at least once a week to lift up His voice and magnify the supremacy of God. They need to behold the whole panorama of His excellencies. And finally, people are starving for the greatness of God. But most of them would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. The majesty of God is an unknown cure. There are far more popular prescriptions on the market, but the benefit of any other remedy is brief and shallow. Preaching that does not have the aroma of God's greatness may entertain for a season, but it will not touch the hidden cry of the Christian's soul, which is, show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, that any of us have seen, heard, thought about any contour of Your being, of Your mercy in Jesus, and loved it, and have fled 
to Him as our Savior is a miracle. We thank You for that. And because of that, those of us in here as believers and struggling in life have great hope that this week, You, the miracle worker, upon our hearts as we open Your Word, as we listen to Your Word, as we hear Your Word, as we we think Your Word, as we recite Your Word, You, again and again, cause us to delight in it. So I pray that You do that for each one of us throughout this coming week in very clear and manifest ways that brings glory to You through our hope in You, joy in You, our repentance from our sin, and our overflowing in joy in bringing others to see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. Amen.